be back. And this morning, we, um, friends, for those of you who have been with us through this series in Luke, we're going to finish up the last few verses of Luke and move into Acts. And so um, we're going to start with Luke 24, and um, it's going to continue right on into Acts because actually Luke and Acts were written as one book in two scrolls. And so we're going to just carry right on. And so, what? 1645. 1645 in your um, Bible in your chair. It's on the ascension of Jesus. When he led them out to the vicinity of Bethany, he, left, he lifted up his hands and blessed them. While he was blessing them, he left them and was taken up into heaven. Then they worshipped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy. And they stayed continually at the temple, praising God. And then moving over to Acts. So it's Luke, John, and Acts. In my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and to teach until the day he was taken up to heaven after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. After his suffering, he presented himself to them and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command, Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Then they gathered around him and asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, It is not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. After he said this, he was taken up before their very eyes, and a cloud hid him from their sight. They were looking intently up into the sky as he was going, when suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside them. Men of Galilee, they said, why do you stand here looking into the sky? This same Jesus, who has been taken from you into heaven, will come back in the same way you have seen him go into heaven. Now, that's a promise for us. Jesus is coming back. Isn't that good news? All right. Um, I realized that as I began, I didn't mention that there is a sermon outline to take notes. Did everybody get one? Or does anybody need one? Anybody? What would you wait for? Um, We're not good as a a culture in waiting for most of anything, are we? We like things kind of instant. But there are certain things that you probably would stand in line for or wait for, I'm guessing. And so um, as I thought about this, I thought, 
well, what if I would have gift cards for everybody here this morning? And I don't. But just if I did, what if I had gift cards? Would you hang out after church to get your gift card? Yeah? All right. What if your favorite, um, you got the possibility of tickets to, like, the World Cup or to the Super Bowl that's coming up um, or your favorite sports team? Would you stand in line and wait? Or maybe it's a Keith Urban concert, or maybe you two was coming to Detroit and there was a charter bus, but you had to wait in line to get tickets. Would you wait? Or maybe it's um, United and Hillsong. Are you getting them for free? Yeah, would you wait for free tickets? Um, We would wait for some things, right? I mean, there would be things that we would stand in line um, for and wait. And I found pictures of um, some kids. People were waiting in line for um, tickets to see the presidential candidates as they came to Michigan, right? And um, other sporting events that people wait in long lines for. We eagerly wait if we expect something to be good or essential. Those are the things in life that we would be willing to wait for, even if we tend to be a little impatient. We wait for things that we think are going to be good or essential. And if you miss any of the the fill-in-the-blanks, for those of you that get uptight about that, I've got a key up here on the stand after church, so don't don't worry. You'll get your fill-in-the-blank. But to keep you tracking with me today, all right, we wait for things that we believe would be good or essential. Notice that the disciples... They stayed in Jerusalem. They waited. They were praising the Lord. They were full of joy, but they were waiting because they believed that what had been promised was good and essential. Why would they wait? Let's think about why would they wait. Jesus commanded it. In Luke 24, which we didn't go back and read, but at that in the text in Luke, remember I said Luke and Acts were the same book in two different volumes. And so in Luke, the, but stay in the city, Jesus said, stay in the city until you have been clothed with power from on high. And then in Acts 1-4, do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised. So it's a command. He didn't say, you might want to think about it, or perhaps you might want to hang around. He said, wait. That is a direct command. And so Jesus commanded to wait. God promised a gift. And so all along, even back from the very beginning in the Old Testament where God called Abraham, there have been this promise that he would be our God, he would provide for us. And we're going to look at a few um, scriptures, but I want to just kind of go back to the big story picture that God created earth through sin. Humanity lost that relationship with God God appeared to Abram and said, through you, I'm going to bless the nations. There was this restoration. But there's been these promises that the Lord has given because when we're called back into relationship with God, we're restored back into our original purpose of dominion. We were created to have dominion on earth. We were created to um, represent the kingdom and bring order and peace and love and joy And so we were restored back to our purpose. And in order to do our purpose, God the Father's will, we need an inheritance. 
And the empowerment of the Holy Spirit is our inheritance that's needed to fulfill the work. So remember, in the Old Testament, if a a father would die, there would be an inheritance for his children, and there would be a double portion for the oldest because they were to carry on the work. Well, there aren't just one of us. He gives that inheritance to all of his children because we're all called to carry on his work. So let's look at a few scriptures. This is going back to Genesis 22 with Abraham. And he says, I'll surely bless you and make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky. Your descendants will take the possession of the cities of their enemies. And through your offspring, all nations on earth will be blessed because you've obeyed me. Now, if you remember from Luke, when we're restored into relationship with the Lord, it's not like we're in neutral territory. We're in enemy territory, and the Lord is bringing back his kingdom on earth and restoring things. And so we have the enemy of our flesh, the old nature that needs to die. We have the culture of the world around us that acts as an enemy, and we have a spiritual enemy demonic and the demons that work against us and so they're very truly our enemies you know we might sit here and think well I don't really have any enemies but just think about the influence of what culture does it says if you're not out having a great big party and getting drunk last night on New Year's Eve well you're missing out but that is not true right there there's enemy forces at work all the time and we don't even recognize it but so The Lord wants us to bring shalom and pray for the shalom of our city, the peace of our city and our neighborhood. And so here's this promise. He promises very specifically in Joel, and afterward I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy, which means speak words, messages of truth from God. Your old men will dream dreams. Your young men will see visions. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit. In those days. So God has promised to pour out his spirit. And again, we looked at this a couple of weeks ago from this promise that was spoken in Luke 1, where it's praising, it's praise in advance for Jesus, the Savior being born, who has come to redeem us, to save us from our enemies and all who hate us, to remember his holy covenant, and then skipping down to rescue us from the hand of enemies and to enable us, enable us. The promise of the Spirit is to enable us to serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him. So this work of enabling, of boldness, of fearlessness, as well as righteousness and holiness, all that is work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. And so why did Jesus say to wait in Jerusalem? Because Jesus commanded that he wanted them to do that. God had promised a good gift And it also reminds us that we're dependent on God. The salvation of the world is not up to us. It's up to the Lord. And we start in this place of trust and dependency on him to receive and then to move out and go on his orders and his guidance. It's just like in creation where there was night and then there was day. We start in this place of rest and trust in him. And then he brings about his purposes. I got some new Bluetooth earphones for Christmas. I was so excited to use them, but you had to charge them fully before you could start. 
you know, we just don't like to wait, do we? But good things come to those who wait. And so actually my Bluetooth speakers worked really well after I plugged them in and had them charged. We need to wait and be refreshed in the promises and the truth of God, and then the gifts come. And so it reminds us of this relationship of dependency on God. We're not going out and doing this alone. We're dependent on him. Now, what are we waiting for? We were waiting. The disciples were waiting. We're waiting for the baptism of the Holy Spirit. The baptism of the Holy Spirit. What in the world does this mean, the baptism of the Holy Spirit? Maybe some of us have heard some things about the baptism of the Holy Spirit, and you think, what are we doing talking about the baptism of the Holy Spirit? Well, we're doing this because it's in the Bible, and we're not going to miss any of it. Now, what this does not mean is it does not mean that you're receiving the person of the Holy Spirit. Last week, Pastor Dave, if you missed Christmas service, like I did, listen to it online, but a beautiful, beautiful message about Emmanuel, God with us. And he referenced this John 20, where Jesus breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. This was before his ascension. This was before the day of Pentecost. There was an impartation that happened. They, he said, believe, he said, receive the Holy Spirit. They received the Holy Spirit. They did not quench. If they had quenched or resisted or did not want the Holy Spirit, they certainly wouldn't have followed out his instructions to go and stay in Jerusalem. All right? So they had received the Holy Spirit. What does the baptism, wait for to be clothed with power from on high, what does this baptism mean? It means that we're receiving grace in the form of God's kingdom power and God-given abilities. And so I think it's the easiest to understand to just say that Jesus was going to send the grace through the Holy Spirit of power and abilities and enablement to be able to fulfill the mission. Now there's two biblical motifs, two um, pictures, if you will, of the Spirit, the Holy Spirit's work in the Bible. And so this is taking what would be a conference and trying to consolidate it in just a couple of simple slides for you. But we see this work of the Spirit being within and then a Spirit, the Holy Spirit coming upon. All right? So the Holy Spirit within is the idea of inhabiting. The Holy Spirit takes up residence in us. It's an inward work of the Holy Spirit, long-term, sustained condition. Now, opposed to the spirit within is the Holy Spirit coming upon. When he says you're going to be clothed with power from on high, you put your clothes on on the outside, so it's kind of this upon. Short-term, episodic, it's an anointing for an action. So, And it's the spirit upon that we're looking at with the um, baptism of the Holy Spirit going to take these two motifs and just talk about this a little bit more. The Holy Spirit within inhabited playro, play race in the Greek. The Spirit of God is within a certain person, and there's um, a particular character quality. So the Lord is transforming. Do you recognize the word sanctification? He's making us more and more like Christ. It's that inward work of the Holy Spirit residing in us 
while we're in relationship with the Lord. 1 Corinthians 6.19 says, Do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you've received from God? So when Jesus blew on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit, and they breathed him in, that was that inward work, and now the Holy Spirit is in residence in those disciples. But Jesus also said, Wait until you've been clothed, Playtho in the Greek, the Spirit of God fell upon, came upon, moved a certain person who is then empowered to act, to see, or speak. All right? So the inward work is this long-term changing of our character and our nature. We used to cuss all the time, and the Lord cleans up our mouths. We used to be angry all the time. The Lord's bringing joy. That's that work of inward work of the Holy Spirit. The coming upon, you see this throughout the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit would come upon one of the prophets and they would speak. You see this in Luke where um, the Holy Spirit came upon um, Elizabeth and she starts to prophesy. The Holy Spirit came upon Zechariah. He starts to prophesy, speak, speak words, messages from the Lord. So it's this short term, oh, Jesus just came in as a baby And the Lord wants everybody to know that this is the Messiah. And so there's the Holy Spirit comes upon for an action or a word to be spoken. And so within the long-term work, it's like the Fixer Upper show or some of those other house remodeling shows. All right. So um, this is the persistent inhabitation of the Holy Spirit dwelling within us to help us become more and more like Christ. And then we've got this episodic coming upon and it's that baptism of the Holy Spirit being clothed with power from on high so that when we go into situations out on mission the Lord will come upon us and give us the words to say or will give us wisdom or may give us a gift of healing that we would pray for somebody and they would be healed so that's that outer work that coming upon Acts 10.38 says, God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and power. And he went around doing good and healing all who were under the power of the devil because God was with him. So Jesus, who's never apart from the Holy Spirit, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, they're always together. And yet there's this coming upon for particular actions that we see even in Jesus' life. So why is the baptism of the Holy Spirit necessary? It's to be equipped to be effective witnesses. Now I want you to think about a courtroom. If you were going to have an effective witness, would that person sit there and not say a thing and be very, very, very um, introverted and not say anything or share anything? That would not be an effective witness. You need somebody who's going to get up and tell the truth and just speak about what they saw, what they know, what they've experienced. Well, the Lord wants us to be effective witnesses for his kingdom. What have we seen? What have we seen him do? What has he done? What have we experienced? How have we experienced a living God in this world? Jesus said, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses. So somehow the Lord's going to take us from being a motley crew that really fumbles over our words to people who are articulate and can say, I can tell you about Jesus. He's changed my life. 
I can tell you about God because I've prayed and I've seen this happen. You'll be effective in speech because the Holy Spirit will come on you if you ask him to, if you wait. And that's why those disciples waited, because they knew that what Jesus said, if it's good, then they knew, they trusted Jesus said, this is good. And so I want to be effective witness, and so I need the gift that's been promised. Other reasons, why is the baptism of the Holy Spirit, this coming upon, this enabling, why is it necessary? Because our lives are supposed to be like signs pointing toward the kingdom of God. So when you're driving and you see a sign that says um, you want to go to Lansing, get in the left lane, that sign points you in the right direction. The way we live our lives are supposed to be signs, like signs that point us toward, point everybody that looks at us toward the kingdom of God. When people saw Jesus walking around and um, going up to people that were blind and touching their eyes and healing, that was a sign. They were saying, we've not seen anything like this. There must be a God, and somehow this man, Jesus, must be connected to him, and we want to know more. And so they started following, and they started hanging around Jesus, and the multitudes, they all came. Well, the disciples got sent out, remember? They sent out the 12, they sent out the 72. Now Jesus, in his ascension as king, and he's going to sit on his throne, is saying, I'm sending you. And all these disciples that are following, and your lives are supposed to be a sign. And so my question to you is, when people look at your life, is your life like a sign? Is it a sign pointing to Jesus? Is there power? Is there something different? Is there joy? Is there peace? Yes. Is, are these internal works of the Holy Spirit? But is there any power? Is there effectiveness in your speech? Our lives are to be a sign of the kingdom. Also, the current state of the church and the world. Why do we need the baptism of the Holy Spirit? Well, let's just take the church in North America. How are we doing with evangelizing and bringing the good news of Jesus to our neighbors? How are the churches doing? Are they growing and thriving and multiplying, or are they shrinking Some of them plateaued. And so even now we say we believe that we need some help. We need God's help. If we're going to see bring your kingdom here, take our nation back. Has our nation been moving towards Christian values and principles or away from? I think we might argue that it's been moving away from And so why is it necessary and why would it be that the Lord would have us on this first day of 2017 learning about the baptism of the Holy Spirit? Might it be that the Lord has wonderful plans for 2017 that would involve the church coming alive and on fire and waiting for this baptism and gifting that's been promised so that we'll be effective? I believe it is. 
Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones, who is a minister over in England, they say that um, after Spurgeon that he was the next um, strongest uh, following pastor that raised up. And this was a quote from his book, The Sovereign Spirit. He says, We are witnessing a world in sin and chaos, and it is surely by now evident to everybody that nothing but a great outpouring of the Spirit of God upon the church can be of any avail in such a situation. He wrote this in the 70s, I believe. Have things changed from the 70s, 80s, 90s, 2000s? We're at 2017. Has anything gotten better, do you think, in the world? I think there's a lot of chaos. I think there's a lot of sin. Whether it's gotten better or not depends on where in the world you're living. In some parts of the world, there's incredible revival going on. There's change and transformation, but we see things not, um, there's plenty of work to be done. Can we just say it that way? There's plenty of work. And so we need an outpouring of the Holy Spirit. Well, how does that outpouring of the Holy Spirit happen? Our catechism, it's a teaching tool. Remember, ancient teaching tool um, that we as a church look to. Why do Christians need to pray? Let's read the answer out loud together. Because prayer is the most important part of the thankfulness God requires of us. And also because God gives his grace and Holy Spirit only to those who pray continually and groan inwardly, asking God for these gifts and thanking him for them. All right. So we're driving along last night, and I kind of made a little groan. And I do that for two reasons. Sometimes I'm praying, and sometimes I'm falling asleep. So Dane always checks with me. Are you falling asleep? Yeah, actually, I was that time. Um, but, but the Lord does just stir in me often to just like, oh. I mean, that's about what it comes, like just this sigh of like, come, come Holy Spirit, strengthen our church. Come Lord Jesus. And so why do Christians need to pray? Because he gives his Holy Spirit only. That's a really strong thing for our catechism to say. But we ask, and he supplies the Holy Spirit. He supplies the gifts that are needed as we pray. Why is it? Because he's designed us to be dependent on him, remember? So prayer isn't something that we just say kind of as a ritual at breakfast, lunch, supper, and before bed. Prayer is our lifeline. Prayer is how the Lord brings his goodness and his grace and his gifts in our lives. And so this reminds us that we have this loving relationship with our Heavenly Father. So, you know, I like to ask questions, and sometimes I just ask some really straightforward questions. But I just wonder, would the baptism of the Holy Spirit be a good thing, and is it theologically reformed? All right, so here's the questions. Let's look for answers. Is it good? Yes. Because Jesus said this in Luke 11. If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, and probably some of us gave some gifts to our children in this last few weeks, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Ah, if we can think of the best gift that we could possibly get our kids, I don't know, you know, what Elam or Asher would want for Christmas, but I bet it had something that had wheels or motor or sound or music or something, right? How much more 
does our Father in heaven just delight to give us the Holy Spirit, which is going to, he, the person of the Holy Spirit, and the work and the grace that he brings into our lives is going to bring us more joy than the best Christmas gift that we could possibly get. All right. Now, is the baptism of the Holy Spirit reformed? Yes. Our theology as a Reformed church, a Christian Reformed church, very much has an emphasis on the Holy Spirit. And I wanted you to write down Synod 2009. What is Synod? Synod, for those of you who aren't familiar with the way our church is organized, our congregation is a part of a regional group of Christian Reformed churches, like we're part of Grand Rapids Classes North, so churches Christian Reformed churches in this north part of Grand Rapids, but there's pockets of those churches all over the United States and Canada, and they send two representatives each once a year to come together, and the synod is a governing and a a body that helps give guidance. And when theological questions come up, they create study committees. One of the things that our denomination is known for is Um, wanting to be biblically sound and theologically correct. And so when they started researching, what about this movement of the Holy Spirit that was happening in the 70s? And was this legitimate? Are these things legitimate that are going on? This is what the um, end result was from that study committee that studied biblically, theologically, We gratefully accept all the ways in which the Holy Spirit manifests his work in this movement, this current movement from the 70s, um, for God's glory, notably in demonstrating the present reality of the spiritual gifts recorded in Scripture. So that's also the gifts that are in 1 Corinthians, the tongues, the healing, the miracles, and of being filled with the Holy Spirit, filled with, baptized, immersed into, filled with the Holy Spirit in different ways and on multiple occasions. So when the Holy Spirit comes in this inward work, he resides in you always and he doesn't leave. But you can be baptized, which is an initial um, entry into the gifting and empowerment of the Holy Spirit, And then you can be refilled and refilled and refilled. Because scripture says don't get drunk with wine, but be filled, ongoingly filled with the Holy Spirit. All right. Now, how does this impact you? How does this impact me? And um, what difference would it make if we were empowered with the Holy Spirit? And so I want to tell you two stories. One is of personal empowerment from um, a book by Louise Bass, Sketches of a Bible Illustrator. Had the opportunity to meet this delightful woman a few years back in Traverse City. Vic, you might uh, remember her. Very, very dear woman. And then I want to read you about the church being empowered a little bit from the story of revival. Um, And so this, I think, will help because I think we can associate with personal stories. And so Louise Bass and her husband studied to be Bible translators and went to Papua New Guinea. She had a two-year-old and a four-year-old. Can you say tired? All right. So she was tired going in because she had this young family. Her husband is studying the tribal language and trying to 
create a language and write this down so that write the Bible, she was an artist and would sketch the drawings. And so there they are, um, love the Lord, love God's word, and um, she gets absolutely exhausted. And not only just physically exhausted, but spiritually exhausted and collapses one day. They have to take her out to a hospital, air med her away, and then they, they finally end up saying, we think maybe the heat and just all the conditions are a little too much. She felt like a failure. She was taking her husband away from that tribal work. But they stayed in Papua New Guinea, but did work with, um, he was helping with difficult Bible translations. And um, he, all the other translators would come to him for help. And she was still drawing. And um, he, he got to the point where he was studying in 1 Corinthians about um, the different grace that would be given in the gifts. And this was not something he had been taught in Bible school. And so he was wrestling with it. And they started attending some meetings where people were talking about the work in ministry, the empowering work, the coming upon of the Holy Spirit. And she said there were such joyful meetings. And pe- she would see her husband raising his hands in worship. And she said she would just close her eyes and think, Lord, get me out of here. I, this, why does he have to study these things that we didn't learn in Bible school, and she just really kind of resisted that. But yet she kept on um, feeling like, I feel like a failure, I feel like I'm weak, and was struggling in her walk. A young girl that was 16, um, one of the missionary kids, got killed in an accident. And after the family had some time to grieve, they came back and gathered all the other missionaries And the mom wanted to share some writings from her daughter's journal. Well, in the daughter's journal, she shared, um, she had written, When so-and-so taught on the gift of tongues, I wanted to receive that, but I didn't have the guts to pray for it. And when Louise Boss heard that, it, it hit something in her. And she said, I wouldn't say I didn't have the guts, but she said, I just had a lot of fear around this. And so she said she went home, her husband was gone, and um, she said all these thoughts were swirling in my mind, and even though I didn't have much knowledge or faith, I needed to settle this question. I wanted to know the truth of the Holy Spirit and whether I had the courage to open myself to the, biblically, the biblical reality of his presence. I prayed just to be filled with the Spirit and forget the gifts. However, I wanted to be a pure vessel for Jesus Christ, holy and creative. I prayed for God to remove obstacles from my mind, the parts of my education and church life that ignored the role of the Holy Spirit. Also, I handed over every experience that had been um, confusing to me, and I just asked that the Lord would protect me, and in no way Satan could be involved. In short, I wanted to be rid of whatever kept me from opening myself to the Holy Spirit education, pride, negative experiences, or just plain lack of guts. After she prayed that prayer, she started to have this vision of um, stepping into cool, refreshing water, and she just stepped in in this vision to her ankles, to her knees, up to her waist, and then she was just swimming in this beautiful oasis of refreshing water. And Now, we're talking in um, January in Michigan, but if it was tropical heat... 
something, a nice, cool swim would sound really refreshing, wouldn't it? And she said she just felt the love and the peace and the joy of the Lord surrounding her in this vision. Afterwards, she shared this with her husband, and he said, you've had a spiritual immersion. You've had a baptism of sorts. And anyway, and so after that, the Lord just gave her this strong sense that he was with her always. And even as she ended up being a young widow, raising those two children on her own, there was never a time, she said, where she felt alone. The Lord had prepared her, strengthened her through this praying for the filling of the Holy Spirit. Now that's a personal renewal, personal prayer. It starts with us as individuals praying, Holy Spirit, come upon me, empower me, clothe me with power to be an effective witness. And as individuals do that, then we become a church and we become congregations who are praying this. And listen to what happens when you're praying for this outpouring of the Holy Spirit. This is, um, this is from a book, Revival Fire, by Wesley Duell. And it's talking about um, the north part of Wales. And it says, And almost simultaneously with the revival in South Wales, the work of the Spirit began in North Wales. One village was so transformed that the drinking houses were practically emptied and swearing was rarely heard. Children met frequently for prayer and even used school properties for prayer for revival. Children. Do we have any children in here? Yeah. Do you know that the Holy Spirit might prompt you to start praying at your school for revival? The Lord uses the prayers of the children, remember? All right. By December 9, a newspaper reported, the religious revival appears to be rapidly spreading throughout North Wales Meetings are held practically at every town, and great enthusiasm prevails. Even in the granite quarries, workmen are holding prayer meetings of the most impressive character every dinner hour. Who could imagine the hard work that happens in a quarry, a granite quarry? And you're spending your dinner hour not scarfing down a bunch of food, but praying. Friends, think about that. Think about that. That really happened. That's a work of the Holy Spirit, causing people stirring up a desire to pray. In the meantime, God raised up a 20-year-old pastor in North Wales, and they would go around to these meetings. And in the pulpit, he appealed to the young people. Do we have any young people? Consider yourself young people. Dane, you'd be raising your hand. Yeah. He would um, appeal to the young people to receive a new anointing of the Holy Spirit. Many prayed and received God's powerful answer. The whole church seemed filled with the glory of God. Should the church be filled with the glory of God? Yeah. Yeah. This is fruit. Are we testing this? This is fruit. What happens when you start praying for an outpouring of the Holy Spirit? The Lord wants to stir up and bring forth the glory of God to cover the earth. In another town in North Wales, a middle-aged farmer's wife, I'm not going to ask if we have any middle-aged farmer's wives, but I'm just saying we've got some people that probably fall in that category. All right. Mrs. Mary Jones was suddenly raised up by the Holy Spirit, a faithful prayer warrior. She was anointed mightily by the Holy Spirit as she interceded in public meeting. Mary Jones soon developed a tremendous home visitation ministry. God guided her to which homes to visit and frequently told her how many people she would lead to him. 
she led at least 70 people to the Lord in her village. Once the power of the Spirit came so mightily upon her that she pleaded, O Lord, stay your hand until I put on immortality. God sent a four-month revival that brought 2,267 souls to Christ. Congregations were melted to tears. Many prayed spontaneously and simultaneously. Man, it gets me. A ruthless gang of 13 notorious sinners were all powerfully saved. Prayer meetings were held in coal mines. Family feuds were settled. The temperance caused was strengthened. New converts routinely led processions of believers, even children, through the streets, witnessing to everyone they saw. God's sovereign power stretched out like a blanket over northern and southern Wales. Friends, what does that mean for us? What does that mean for Gold Avenue Church and the churches, God's church, in 2017? What does it mean? What does it mean? Is this just history? Is this just, oh, back there and been there and done that? Or is that something for today? What do you think? Jesus mandates the church. He says, Go and make disciples from Judea, Samaria, to to the ends of the earth. To the ends of the earth. We're over here where they would have considered this the ends of the earth. They didn't even know. They thought the earth dropped off before we got over here, right? But here we are. And God's mandate. There are people that still need to hear about Jesus. Our vision is that we exist to see the love of God change our hearts, our neighborhood, and the world. What would it be if we would, instead of just, all right, 2017, Pastor Dave's going on sabbatical, so we better rush up and get up, and we better do something. Or what would it be if we would spend the next 14 days before Pastor Dave preaches on Pentecost in two weeks? What if we would pray and ask for this clothing of power, this baptism of the Spirit, What if we would pray and ask the Lord to do it again? And instead of just trying to drum up something, we would actually be dependent on him and say, we can't do a thing and we recognize we we are powerless, but you are all powerful. Would you clothe us? Would you clothe us with power from on high? Let's pray. Lord, you are so good. And you've promised us the gift of the Holy Spirit and the empowering, the enabling work of your Spirit. And I pray now that you would take the word that's been preached and apply it into our hearts. And Lord, would you give us a vision of what you want to do in the next year? And would you help us to pray and wait and be ready to be effective witnesses For your glory and your name's sake we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.